And I kid you not, like in 30 seconds, because it's like, oh, I got that green light that is a behavioral mm-hmm. problem. I got her foot picked up. We got it trimmed. Like, yeah, no problem. But it it was frustrating to be like, for months, I've been worried about this not being a behavioral problem, right? I've been worried about whatever might be going on under under the underneath. And so it's like, okay, like, where's that line? You know, where's that line between that that we can find between pain and behavioral? Because Welcome to the Horsewoman Project, a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman, from relationships to truck issues, taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. We have eight inches of snow here. I don't know if you've got snow. We got a buttload of snow, so. It's actually snowing right now, and it's supposed to snow all day, and the Mm -hmm. high is like 32. (laughs) I'm like, oh no. Oh, to me, that sounds like springtime. I'm like, I know it's 32 whole degrees there. <laughs> Yesterday, I was like, as I'm like, okay, I'm going to go riding today. And I'm like, but I would like it to be 20 degrees. It did not hit 20 degrees yesterday. <laughs> like, I mean, that's okay. Cause I didn't end up going anyways, but yeah. Oh my goodness. The other day I go out and it's like time to leave to go to this thing. And I'm like, I don't have a car. Like all I have is the truck, but we had just gotten six inches of snow like dumped on and of course like so prepared there is no windshield scraper or oh no or anything like not in our house not in my truck I'm like what the heck and then my truck is huge like you've seen my truck mm-hmm. I can't reach anything so I'm like climbing up as much as I can onto the tire holding onto the mirror and like just trying to scrape things off but even then I could only get about six inches of space on the stupid windshield and I had to use a little broken handle off of my um off of my tailgate to like scrape the ice and I got like this much of a section I'm like this this." and then the plows here I don't know if it's the plows that suck or what but the roads are awful, like just Mm -hmm. awful. So I'm coming out of my driveway and I'm like spinning out with my horse trailer hooked onto the truck, like onto the, (laughs) I'm like, this is going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like running late for this thing anyways. Gotta love those kinds of adventures, right? (laughs) No, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, no, I don't have to love them actually. (laughs) I'm allowed to hate them. Yes. (laughs) Well, and luckily, because I don't know, I'm so bad at math, Camry, like basic math, (laughs) that I was like, okay, like, because we live about 15 minutes away from town. So I was like, I need to leave. Like, I had to be there at 11.55 is when the class starts. And I'm like, okay, I want to leave a little bit early to give me a little bit of time. So class starts at 11.55. Technically, to be there right at 11.55, I have to leave at like, what, 11.40? That is not how my brain works, which is a good thing in this situation. My brain went, (laughs) I have to leave at like 11.20 to be there just in time. So, which was good because then I was like super stressed out and kind of like mad and irritated as I'm driving. And then I get to the school and I'm like, oh, I have like 10 minutes. Like, okay (laughs) I'm like one of those times when my bad math is a good thing (laughs) yeah well and I I need to start planning like buffer periods (laughs) because I always plan like exactly enough time to try and be efficient and then it's like Mm. 
it ends up not being enough time. <laughs> right? Yeah. Especially with kids. Oh. Or animals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's oh, yeah. just always more time. <laughs> yep. My first year of doing writing lessons, I had like back to back to back to back to back lessons scheduled. And I was like, it's fine. Like, I don't need that time. Oh my gosh. The next year I'm like, nope. 15 minute <laughs> intervals between, yeah, between lessons. Like, oh, especially there since I had to like go to kingdom come to catch horses for kids and yeah, get them ready. I'm like, yep. Buffers, buffers are a great thing. <laughs> and everyone comes early too I don't know if you ever have that and I'm like mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't bug me it kind of depends on whatever kids but I had a lot of parents who just drop their kids off and leave and like one time I'm like hey you cannot leave your kid here because she's six years old you dropped her off like a half an hour early I'm in the middle of can't. teaching this other stuff I'm like I can't watch her like we yeah. have horses and things going on I'm like you cannot do that like if you're gonna come early you have to stay here with your child like it's yeah. funny it's funny to if me. it's an older kid that's one thing they can kind of take care of themselves but yeah with a yeah. six-year-old around livestock ooh. yeah no like their time I turn around I'm like uh get out of that horse pen like you are not allowed in there you know the yeah. rules you know it's like <laughs> like you cannot do that with the older kids it wasn't ever a big deal because I just put them to work I'm like oh great you're here come help me with this lesson you know because it's always yeah. a good opportunity for them but yeah anyways well, anything fun other than your, well, that wasn't fun. Anything uh, <laughs> of note <laughs> other of than note. your little hip injury? <laughs> yeah, other than my body is falling apart, I'm going to die. No, it's good. Because you know what, Cameron, I'm laughing at myself because I am so mad at myself, right? I'm so frustrated because I can't lift what I want to lift. And then I'm like looking back at that and I'm like, you know, like I still deadlifted 230 pounds and I still like, glute bridged 460 and like my leg presses 270 and I'm mad because that's like way under what I normally can do and I'm like okay so what's the problem here because it's like it's not that I'm not strong right but like in my head I'm like like it is my drug to go and just be able to like blow away like my my PRs and really like get PRs like I just love it and just feeling Um, powerful yeah and feeling powerful like it's just like that's what I live for when I go to the gym because because it is something that I've worked very very hard to be at this point where I feel that way mm-hmm. and so then to like have this little injury that I'm like makes me feel weak is very frustrating but I'm like you know what? <laughs> I'm like in the grand scheme of things like I'm still very very strong even at my lowest like even even though I'm injured it's like look at what I can still move but then too it's like you stupid head like you know if I if like if you had come to me and you were doing that I'd be like what are you doing like you know like like sometimes I need to remember like okay if I was my own client what What would would I tell myself yes it's like what would I be telling myself here and be like oh well I don't want to listen to that (laughs) well it's like me you can't push yourself to the nines all the time yeah you have to give your body a break sometimes (laughs) yeah and it is hard and like this is something you and I talk a lot about but it is hard because you do want to push yourself to the nines because that's like you you live in a high when you can do that and you can sustain that it is kind of a high but it does like in the long run breaks you down in a lot of different ways and it's just really important to listen to yourself but anyways I had this mastermind all weekend, so it ran Friday, like, gosh, it was long mastermind, so, um, <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know, 
it, it was really good, really good speakers, but it started at 8 a.m. on Friday and went to like 7 p.m. And it did that Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And it wow. was just, it was a lot like it was a lot. And I mean, granted, like I, I was doing it virtually because we couldn't travel to it this year. But I'm, I'm so glad I was doing it virtually because then I could press pause and go for a walk or something. I'm like, man, mm. if I was in that room, I think I would have died. Like, mm-hmm. because each speaker talked for almost an hour and a half each, you know, and normally it's like, normally you'll try to keep speakers at like 45 minutes. No, mm-hmm. these were long, long, long speakers and they were good, but it just got to the point like, wow, we're still talking. Like, yeah, <laughs> like there's seven of you, you know, and we're still talking. Yeah. So, It was really good, but that's how like horse clinics sometimes are like, especially the ones where like when I very first started doing mine, I did them as like three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon. And I changed my format after my first year of doing them because it was too much. Yeah. That's a lot of hours in one day for one horse and one human. Oh, oh yeah. And so it just, it was like, no, their brain and their body, you know, one or the other or both are kind of giving out by the end, like they're ready to be done. Like, <laughs> And it should still be retainable and should still be something that they're staying interested and focused in. And if they're getting tired or bored or exhausted, you know, like those different things, then they're not going to be getting out of it what you want them to get out of it anyway, because they're tired. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's kind of the same thing. It's not that uh-huh. the information isn't good, but sometimes I feel like with, in situations like that, maybe a format change mm-hmm. could be yeah. better. Like, like maybe even having the recordings for people to go look at later mm-hmm. instead of just like live stuff. Yeah. Because then you can watch it in intervals where you can process it and and yeah (laughs) yeah well and I had done the same mastermind last year around the same time and it was it was a lot better like as far as their timings and stuff like it kept me engaged Mm -hmm. the entire time like Mm -hmm. I was not like sitting there going oh my gosh we're still going like Mm -hmm. okay you know and I felt like I was able to kind of get up and move around a little bit more Um, so it was really good um there was one speaker that I absolutely loved and his name is Andrew Coates I think, I think that's his name. Yeah. Coates. He just like inspired me. Like as he's talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, like all these light bulbs are going off in my head of like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I, I'm going to like incorporate this and oh, this is a good idea too. So it gave me like a lot of applicable things, but just the way that he talked really helped like get my brain kind of rolling. So it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talked about, well, he talked about like lots of different things. His, his main topic was, um, like how to build your brand pretty much. But what I liked about it is there's a lot of people, especially when you go to masterminds like this, and I don't know if you kind of notice this, especially in the horse industry, but it's hard for me sometimes because you'll talk to these people and it's like, make, make a million dollars your first year and like get up to this level, like go from zero to 150 clients in three months. And like, there's these big leaps, you know, and this is Mm -hmm. what they're promoting and this is what they're doing. And I, I did a, like a coaching program, um, last year that was kind of like that. It was like meant to accelerate your business. And I mean, like really good stuff, but man, it burnt me out like so, so fast. And Mm. for me, I'm like, you know, I would much rather, like, I do want to grow, 
but I'm like, I'm okay growing at a slower rate. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to be around the people who are like, no, no, why, why are you holding yourself back? And I'm like, well, cause I kind of want to, you know, like, yeah, like I like the steady state growth that I'm having. Like I, mm-hmm. I feel like I can um, give as much of myself as I want to my clients with this steady state that I'm going. Right. Yeah. So that's one thing I appreciate about him. He was like, look guys, like not all of you are going to want to have multi-million dollar coaching businesses. He's like, some of you are going to be like, Hey, like I hit this point. I really like this. This gives me the sustainability that I want for my lifestyle. And it gives me time to, to do this. And he's like, and that's okay. And I'm like, it was just like, Oh, okay. You know, like you're like, I feel so validated. <laughs> yes. We're just like, Whoa, your light came on. <laughs> it's like, you're going to get beamed up. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden it's like whoa <laughs> my fluorescent light decided it was warm <laughs> this is a good thing we're not doing video between my pulsing and then the random alien visitations cameras at me. <laughs> oh my goodness oh. well <laughs> on that note should we <laughs> Maybe get to the topic at hand, I guess. (laughs) So today's topic is distinguishing between when our horses naughty things that they do are pain and when they're behavior related, quote unquote naughty Mm -hmm. (laughs) for those that can't see my air quotes. Um, (laughs) So um, I think this was kind of your idea for this topic, wasn't it, Michaela? Did you have a certain experience or anything that kind of brought this topic on or yeah so like sometimes it's it's kind of a pain to always just wonder if it's if it's a pain issue or a behavioral and like obviously like I'm glad that that I'm jumping to okay let's figure out if it's pain first but it's like um I think I've told the story before but with my mare Sandy she had a period where she where she got some scratches last spring that has made her pretty raunchy about her feet because they hurt and and caring for them was not pleasant and all of the things and so from there like after after that even after the um, scars and stuff were healed she would not tolerate like her back feet at all um and we had to kind of almost retrain her to be able to like pick up her back feet but Mm -hmm. even then I'd pick up her foot and she just like stomp right back down or like or move kind of funny and just in a way that I was like okay like is this is there more issues going on and I spent like I kid you not like a couple of months worried about like okay like it's probably a pain issue what else do we need to look at brought in body workers and stuff and um and it came down to like I had a body worker come down and just do the whole thing like we did the PEMF um, chiropractic massage she did the whole deal on her and Mm -hmm. then she's like there is no point in this horse that is sore like she's like yeah she's a little tight here but that has nothing to do with what you're seeing down there and like Mm -hmm. after that it was like oh okay so it's a behavioral problem and I kid you not like in 30 seconds because it's like oh I got that green light that it's a behavioral Mm -hmm. problem I got her foot picked up we got it trimmed like yeah, no problem. But it it was frustrating to be like, for months, I've been worried about this not being a behavioral problem, right? I've been worried about whatever might be going on under under the underneath. And so it's like, okay, like, where's that line? You know, where's that line between that that we can find between pain and behavioral? Because 
sometimes it is behavioral, you know, like yeah. in, this, in this situation and um, especially working with you. And it's like, just gosh, all the things that came up with all the cults and being like, well, they're lame again, or this is going on or, or they're reacting this way. And it's like, how do we handle behaviors that maybe do stem from another issue too? Um, because there's like some cults that I can think of that we had where it's like, yeah, it's pain, but do we allow them to still behave this way, even if it is a pain issue? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a lot of times those like behaviors that stem from pain have a lot to do with like conditioned neurological states, right. And the anticipation of pain Mm -hmm. or just, you know, they, it was this habit for so long of, you know, you touch here on her leg and because of the scratches, it hurts. Mm -hmm. So then she starts seeing you reach for the leg and then she's like, Oh, it's going to hurt. You know? And so they get in those patterns. So sometimes just breaking the pattern is what's needed to overcome the behavioral side Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. So kind of the first thing I wanted to go over was how do you figure out which one it is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I think is always the hard part because you do go back and forth and you're like, well, is it pain? Is it, is it behavior? Is it, you know, which one is it? And so some of the things that I do with my horses and with my clients' horses to check, to see if there's anything that is pain related. One of the first things is I take a hoof pick and I run it along their back from their wither all the way down to their tail, about two inches off the spine, which I did that while you were still here, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I've done that for years, but mm-hmm. I was like, I, did I ever do it in front of you and yeah. like show you what I did? <laughs> yeah. Well, and this um, is something that, and I don't know if you were taught this in your equine classes, but that is something that we were taught at Utah state in my equine classes as well yeah. is to do that. So, yeah. And it just gives you, it, it goes along like some acupressure points. Um, and one thing that's important to know is use a hoof pick. Don't use your finger because your finger is spongy enough that it's not going to give you enough of an indicator of where they're sore. So I can run my finger along a horse's back and get zero response and then take a hoof pick along their back and see all the jitters of where they're sore, right? And the little twitches that they get. So use a hoof pick. Um, And then with that, that's usually like if you're finding something there, you most likely need a chiropractor. Um, and or a massage therapist or acupuncturist mm-hmm. um, depending or you know because sometimes with the the massage you get the muscles but then um, those vertebrae can get locked up um, and they need to be freed up so that they can move properly um, so that's the first thing that I check just because it's one of the easiest things to fix and it's mm-hmm. um, it's pretty pretty straightforward there to to see where your horse is sore um, have you ever used just the back of your thumb? Cause I will take like the back where my nail is in my thumb too, and mm-hmm. I'll press and I will still get like the same reactions that I would with a hoof pick too. Sometimes I, I hesitate to tell people hoof pick, you know, uh... if they've never done it before. Cause sometimes that can be really painful just because it's the hoof pick. And if you use too much pressure, pressure, it'll dig and it'll, yeah. Like, and it'll and, and then you. you're going to get reactions anyways. Right. So I don't know. Have you ever tried that? Like just using I... the back of your nail? I do, but I don't find it gives me as, quite as accurate of a reading. Um, I think if you are like a chiropractor, like I know Chelsea does that, Chelsea Bowman that we mm-hmm. use with Peach Creek Chiropractic, she does that with the back of her nail. Um, and 
she, but she can see all the little nuances of all the little movements along there. Yeah. And so I think with that hoof pick, as long as you're not like, like don't dig it into your horse. Um, but that's why I like it is it just has such a fine point to it that it, it shows you a lot more, a lot more clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, that's a good point. Don't dig it into your horse because yeah. they might just kick you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, and then I don't know um, if you learn this too, but as you run it, like, don't just run it once because it's kind of like if someone just comes and like tickles you in one tickles, spot, like yeah. it's like, ah, you know, you're going to get probably some sort of reaction no matter what. So definitely like run it at least three times. I feel like to yep. see if you get the same reaction in the same points. Cause that's going to be like, Oh, okay. If you're getting multiple reactions in that same point, that's a pretty good indication that there's something there. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see. The other thing to check would be for ulcers. Cause that's another huge one. For those of you that don't know about 60 to 90% of domestic horses have ulcers or gut issues that will lead to ulcers. And it has to do with the way that we feed them, which is twice a day. Their gut is designed to have forage all day long. They're meant to be grazers and be eating throughout the day. So when we they have long gaps in the middle of the day where there's nothing in their gut, the stomach acids come up into the wrong part of the stomach where they're not supposed to be because there's no forage in there to kind of mm -hmm. keep it buffered. And um, so in any case, there's a video that I will link to that I really like. It's very clear in the acupressure points to check on a horse that will indicate ulcers. Um, and it's one of them is kind of right behind the elbow. And one is under like right behind where your cinch sits in the center, right between their two front legs. Um, another one is kind of down and behind their withers a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then if they're really severe, you'll get it back on their croup, kind of, I guess, mm -hmm. a little in front of the croup. Um, but yeah, go, if you want to, we'll link to that video. You can go and watch that. Um, you can also go, like my vet has an ulcer test. So you just take in a handful of manure and they test it and oh, it'll cool. test for, yeah, it's like 15 bucks and it tests for foregut and hindgut ulcers. Huh. I've never even heard of that test. Yeah. Most That's people don't know about it. Yeah. Huh. And it's. It's not a hundred percent like surefire yes or no. Um, it depends on the severity of their ulcers um, and what will show up on that test. The only way to know a hundred percent for sure is to scope a horse, but that's like four hundred or five hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a lot easier to just try this test and and or try treatment. Um, yeah, and you can just treat and see if if it helps. Great. If not try something mm -hmm. else or you know um but that's definitely something I check for because if you have like a cinchy horse in particular oh, definitely yeah. check for mm -hmm. ulcers <laughs> that is that so. is one thing like isn't it just so cruel that all those points you're saying I'm like that is like where all the major pressure comes from your saddle yep. so it's like if you're having a horse that's really reactive like I was actually I texted you the other day um I was riding somebody's horse oh gosh last week and this is a horse that I've ridden consistently for like 10 years mm -hmm. and so I know this horse very very well and he just switched owners and um and this new owner this like he really doesn't have any history riding this horse other than when he just bought him last year and anyways I'm going and cinching up this horse and he like pulls back and mm. is just like I mean leaning backwards like I, I can't 
I'm not sure how to express, like ex how to like explain Like a really it. bad laminitic horse that sits yes. back. And <laughs> thank you. Like, you know, that rocking chair horse, like that's kind of how he was with, with the scent. So I went very, very slow and just kind of did, hey, like, you know, touch it. Like I didn't like go and, and wrench it up. And, and the owner was like, okay, this is kind of unusual for him. And he's like, oh no, no, this is, this is what he does all the time. Every time I've ever, I've ever saddled him. I'm like, well, I'm like, he has never done that with me in the 10 years that I've ridden this horse. Like, I'm like, I guarantee you he's got ulcers. So I told him your, your favorite thing is like the um, daily gold from Redmond is a yeah. really, really good thing to do for ulcers. And yeah. so, you know, told him about that. I'm like, I would definitely just start that because if nothing else, it's like, if it isn't ulcers, then Hey, you can deal with the, with the behavioral problem, but pretty sure, pretty darn sure that's ulcers, you know, yeah. um, for, well, for that difference in behavior of that horse, especially. Yeah, for sure. And like, I love that daily gold and it's, it's one of the cheaper ulcer treatments that you can get. And it's super effective for most horses. Occasionally I've heard some people say that it didn't help their horse. And it may have been just that their horse had insanely severe ulcers. Mm -hmm. So the next product that I tell people to try is um Nutribac pH and I had a client buy it for her horse that had ulcers when it was in training with me and it worked really well but it's a little bit higher price and higher mm -hmm. maintenance like it's you squirt it into their mouth mm. and so it's you know if your horse doesn't take wormer well that <laughs> it's probably <laughs> not a good idea for you but um, and but yeah so a little more pricey but it is meant to treat slightly more severe cases mm -hmm. if you have like a really really severe case so that's like always the second thing that I recommend for people but yeah. that daily gold is just yeah Good awesome stuff. stuff awesome, awesome I stuff, yeah so. I love that stuff for my horses I know people because <laughs> I like my husband grew up in Redmond where they make this stuff so um like I know the founders of the mine and everything and they will actually make bread with the clay like out of the oh clay. yeah it's yeah wow. it's like so in Redmond like they're the daily gold is their clay right so <laughs> they use it for everything like Eric's family <laughs> has used it for everything from like stings to burns to to bites they'll they'll put it in their water if they're feeling like their stomach's a little upset so it's really interesting I have never eaten it myself I'm just not to the point where I'm willing to drink <laughs> to drink clay <laughs> um but my horses definitely like it yeah, well, I've actually drank the clay, um, not the the horse version, because they have different um, standards for their human products mm -hmm. versus the horse products, because obviously the human market has more regulations, <laughs> um, but they do have a human version that you can get of their clay, and what, what I do is I mix the clay in the water, and then I let it settle, and then you drink the water that's on top, because everything that it has pulled out of the clay is still in that water that's sitting on top and just the chunky like mm -hmm. clay like thick clay part sits at the bottom and I actually gave it to my little boy the other day because he was having some belly issues and and he was like looking at me like he thought it was gonna taste really weird <laughs> and then he's like mom it just tastes like water <laughs> I was like yeah so if you do it that way um mm -hmm. it's yeah, that, that's a, a good way because I have like <laughs> I have like visions of like mud, you know, I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm not going to do that. I, I can't eat mud. <laughs> um, so the other things that are easy to check are, of course, just palpating your horse. Feel around, see if you feel any swelling, if you feel any heat. Um, and especially with heat, like if you're not familiar with 
what it should feel like, always compare one side to the other, you know, compare the right leg to the left leg and, and things like that. Um, and then check your tack. That's one thing that I will always check. So like, for instance, um, one time I had a horse in training and he'd been doing great wearing the saddle. I wasn't bucking with it or anything. And then I put the saddle on one day and he just goes to bucking. And I'm like, what in the world? And it was actually my assistant that had put the saddle on. And what it was is they hadn't given him wither relief. So oh. what that is, is just when you pull the pad up into the gullet so that it doesn't like smash down on their withers. And it was enough for him to be like, bah! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Um, so things like that, like checking um, to make sure there's no twists in your lines or that there's not like a foxtail or a burr under your saddle pad. So there have been times in the past that just to rule it out, if my horse is doing something way out of character, I will get off, take off all their tack, inspect all of it, put it back, um, and just make sure there's nothing wonky with it. Um, so that's always a good thing to do too. And then one of the other things to check, unlike something physical, like all of these have been, is to check yourself, which like, kind of like you said with Sandy, like as soon as your mindset shifted into like, oh, Mm -hmm. there's no pain, all of a sudden her mindset was better too. And you were able to work through it a little easier. So sometimes checking like our own expectations and if we are expecting pain as well or expecting a certain reaction from them or having like a big ego of like, you shouldn't behave this way or, you know, any of those kinds of things, mm-hmm. that's going to big time affect your horse. So oh, yeah. check check yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like with me expecting pain, I'm, I'm coming out of like in a very different way than I would if I was coming at it like oh this is just a behavioral thing because it's like with pain I'm like okay like it's fine it's fine you know like I'm being uh-huh. a lot more careful I'm like I'm not being forceful at all in any of my actions so even like like with her foot for instance it's like yeah I picked it up but I'm not like holding it and making her hold it and making you know and like making mm-hmm. her say hey no this is your job now like you just need to hold your foot up um I I came at oh okay it's okay obviously there's something wrong here. Right. But it's like the moment that I was like, oh, it's behavioral. Okay. Just went back to the normal, like started with a rope just so she could see that, Hey, you can just lift it. It's no big deal. And then, um, like even now she's still a little bit funny about that hoof. And Mm -hmm. my husband will often help me with the back feet just because I like can really hurt my my hips with it if they're being a little bit funny but you do Mm -hmm. have to pick up this hoof in a very specific way right now because she's still Mm kind of like "Mm," like even though she hasn't been in pain for a very long time she is still very like well we'll see today could be the day that it hurts again (laughs) so you do like I do have to pick it up kind of in a in a different certain way um than like Mm -hmm. her other back foot which I can just pick up normally like just grab she lifts it up I I go to work you know with this one it's like nope I have to like really be intentional rubber foot down like rubber leg down and be see like my touch doesn't hurt and then I actually have to grab it from her hoof if I grab it above her hoof she mm-hmm. doesn't let me keep it. But if I grab it at her hoof, she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah. So it's just she's like, okay, I know that area is not going to hurt if you pick yes. it up that way. <laughs> exactly. So, well, and like the funny thing is too with like checking yourself is I have this horse in training right now. And when I got her, the owner, she's four years old. Uh, and the owner had said that she's good with her front feet, but she's kind of a little stink about her back feet. And So what she would do with her back feet is she wouldn't 
be rank about it. Like she wouldn't boot at you. Mm-hmm. She would like bring her leg clear out to the side and then like shove you away. <laughs> <laughs> like it was like the most slow She's motion like, kick. Away. <laughs> and, yeah. Like she was like, mm, and no, <laughs> let me just push you away. But it's enough that like, she's a big horse. Yeah. She's Where's big and she's got like big, big feet, um, drafty feet. And so I think her owners had possibly gotten a little intimidated by that. And her feet were in great shape. Um, she wore them down really nicely and everything. And so she didn't like need a ton of work done with her feet, which is probably why they just didn't do much. But um, having the mindset of like going in and being like, oh, she might like do something was made her kind of be able to say no easier Uh Uh and especially with her size like she was just able to be like "Mm, nope I'm gonna get you out of the way because I don't want to do it um Mm -hmm. because you know discomfort horses want to seek comfort right so if Mm -hmm. it feels a little bit uncomfortable even though it wasn't like majorly out of right like out of threshold or anything above threshold I had this horse and she was kind of an odd case and some days she would just be dull and not care about anything. And other days she would be and spooky and weird. And so in any case, that would probably should have been my indicator that I should not have been handling her feet while she was tied, but she'd handled her feet for over a year Mm -hmm. and that had never been an issue for us. So, um, well, for her owner, I should say, I only had her for a couple of months, but yeah, never, never had an issue with her feet. So I was going to pick her feet out and I had my treat bag on my hip and it just so happened to brush along her leg and like she'd we'd I'd given her treats and things in the past so like she knew what the treat bag was um, but I think it was just she didn't know what was touching her Mm. and as I picked up her front foot her hind foot reached up and kicked me on the top of my forehead and which knocked me to the ground she was tied hard tied so she hung back and stomped on my knees and my shins and luckily I did not lose consciousness and I just rolled out of the way but it scared the crap out of me I was I didn't know like I my head was spinning like I didn't know if I was going to maintain consciousness and I was alone my father-in-law was 10 acres across the Mm -hmm. way and couldn't see me and wasn't going to be back for about an hour so I immediately pull my phone out of my pocket and call him I'm like Russ I got kicked in the head I need you to take me to the hospital I don't know if I'll stay awake like because my head was just like oh yeah yeah pretty crazy experience but little side note here on an episode that we might do here in the future you know that trauma book we've been reading Mm -hmm. the waking the tiger I think the reason why I do not carry a lot of fear forward through this, like I have with some of my other, like, you know, being thrown and things like that, that have really like stayed with me and, and created a little bit of trauma in my mind is because I stayed mobile Mm. through the trauma. I was able to roll out of the way. I was Mm -hmm. able to call, get on the phone and get help and like use my brain through the process and it's because it's it's been crazy for probably oh I feel like it was two weeks to maybe a month afterward if I was handling a horse's feet and they like twitched at all like a fly touched them and they twitched I would twitch like Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would be like Uh, and I definitely like I have changed like when I handle horse's feet now I don't tie them ever just because Mm -hmm. 
might I get don't. stuck underneath <laughs> them again. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, I have not carried through after about that first month or so afterward. It was just like, oh, okay, like it's not a big deal to handle feet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, kind of an interesting thing about how trauma works in your yes. brain and how you process it differently. So yes, we are going to have to do one about, about like horse accidents and particular I feel like right because it is funny because like for me I'm like I feel like I have more trauma from your experience that I wasn't even there for than you do you know like I remember like watching him like how are you not nervous about this like I'm nervous about this you know and it's funny because even even now I'm like I think about that and it just like and I think a lot of that is my uh like I'm very empathic, like I feel mm-hmm. other people. So it's like, if my really good friends are very stressed out, it doesn't matter where they're at. I'm like, I can feel their stress. Like my heart rate goes up. Like I have the stress responses. Mm-hmm. So for you to do that. And I'm like, like what? Like, so for me and my anxiety and my, like, I put myself in your shoes and then I'm like, you were alone. If you had, like, it could have been so, so bad if you had lost consciousness, like Crazy. Yeah, I would so like my would brain goes through, like yeah my brain goes through all the worst case scenarios like oh my gosh what if what if this happened and I'm not going to tell you what my brain goes through because I don't need to care <laughs> for you but like yeah there's a lot of trauma for me for you for that experience that I probably yeah. need to work through <laughs> well and I got so stinking lucky because I had a concussion but no other damage and nothing like I had x-rays on both of my lower legs to check my knees and everything because they were I mean just swollen and black and blue Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't have any broken bones I had a lot of soft tissue damage but yeah it's I got off really really lucky Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah well I kind of have a question for you I know this is going a little bit on a tangent here but (laughs) how did um your husband Larry handle that he well I don't know I mean he's so very like matter of fact about things like mm-hmm. like I'll meet you at the hospital and we'll go we'll go do this and like he's very much the problem solver so yeah just yeah a lot of just that problem solving mentality mm-hmm. and like he's always super supportive like he's just like well are you okay and what are you doing because I called him on the way um, mm-hmm. after I called Russ right and was like this just happened and and then of course like at that point I'm like starting to like have that like adrenaline coming yeah, down like, like breaking oh! down a little bit <laughs> and he's so great like he's just like it's okay <laughs> calm down you're fine like, <laughs> uh-huh. but no he's he was great okay um, I just I'm just curious because um like me as a partner like if my husband were to get hurt like that and and a lot of that too is I I do have a lot of PTSD from a lot of different things so mm-hmm. I I would like as the spouse I would be very nervous about like if that happened to my husband about him going back out like I would be very like okay you got to call me like after every session with every horse for a little yeah. bit like that that's just how I respond to traumatic events especially when it's mm-hmm. a loved one traumatic traumatic or experience so I was just curious Mm -hmm. to see if he was kind of similar to that or not yeah well and after that we have we because of my mare that had a foal this year we put up cameras around our place we started with just the one that was our full watch camera Mm -hmm. um, and then we put up two other ones so one that kind of watches our arena and one part of our stalls and then the other one that kind of watches the other section and then one at our front yard to watch our driveway Um, and so from that point on, if I was working a horse alone, Larry was like, just text or call me when you're getting a 
get on the horse or start working with a horse and then like he could get on on his phone anytime and like check on me so yeah yeah we definitely had that of like making sure if I was alone that someone was checking on me (laughs) well that was definitely for me that was a turning point for me in thinking about training like honestly because Mm -hmm. just the fact that you were alone and just like all the things that go in my head that it's like wow like this could have happened that could have happened this could have happened it really did like kind of open my eyes of like hmm you know, like, is that something that I want to do? Like have my own program where I'm training by myself. And for me, no, it's not <laughs> like, like <laughs> I, if like, I would come back and work for you and work with you in a heartbeat, but I would not want to do it alone. Um, just because of, of things like that. And it's like, yeah, I ride alone, but it's with horses that like, I know, like, mm-hmm. you know, hand and back. But anyways, again, that that's just a branch. I'm just like, so curious to, to like <laughs> have, have that discussion. But yeah. Well, and there's days if a horse is acting out of character uh, for one reason or another and no one is around, which most of the time there's someone, my father-in-law or one of my assistants or my husband will be there, um, but not always. And if there's a horse that's acting a little out of character when no one's there, I won't get on them. Yeah. I will play it safe and we will work on something else that day because there's always something you can work on on the ground. Um, and it's usually good for the horse's brain too to like mix that up and then mm-hmm. cross train, do something else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's when you work alone, you have to be aware of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because, yeah, if no one's there to help you, you could be laying on the ground for yeah. <laughs> until your husband gets home from work at 6 p.m. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I like that. And that's something we should definitely do another podcast on. Um, so just putting it out there that we'll do another podcast on it. Um, but like with that, cause I will do that, but then I also feel so guilty for not getting on. Right. Like, and then I go like, oh my gosh, like, am I just talking myself out of this? Like why, like I should just make myself get on, you know, and I, I do the head games. It's so, and what is that called again? Ego. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I feel uh-huh. that too, where it's like, but my clients are paying me a lot. Should I really be doing groundwork today? And then it's like, why not? Because mm-hmm. groundwork is something every single horse is going to have to do mm-hmm. their life, whether it's leading, backing, tying at trailers. Like, like yesterday I took a horse um, up the road and all we worked on the entire time was getting her focused because as I was leading her up the road, cause I just walked her cause she's mm-hmm. very, very green and I don't ride green horses on the asphalt up a road yeah. when it's snowing, uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but she would, you know, look at things and, you know, do that uh-huh. snorty thing and just get really nervous. And so we worked on just being able to check it back in with me, refocus on me because that right there is going to be so important to her owner when she takes her to new places, when she goes home mm-hmm. for her to be able to know that that horse isn't going to blow over the top of her because the first little bit of our walk, the horse would try to like climb in my pocket. Right. But she wouldn't right. be looking at me. She would be looking at that thing over there that scared her, mm-hmm. that fire hydrant or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And then she would try and like jump in my pocket. <laughs> and so it was like, okay, space, but still connection and mm-hmm. focus. And, and so me being able to find those things that we can work on that isn't a waste that we can do as groundwork that keeps her safe, keeps me safe um, on the days when either the weather's too bad, or like I said, the horse is acting wonky and I'm by myself and I don't feel comfortable doing it. Um, there's always something you can do that's 
super beneficial for your horse. So yeah, I've gotten a little more to the point where I don't feel as much ego about mm-hmm. that. And like, mm-hmm. I need to be getting on, but it still creeps in there where it's like, I should be doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Lots of should ofs and what ifs and what us. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely comes up a lot. Well, now that we have had a very long tangent. Yes. <laughs> Guys, I hope you're okay with some of these tangents. They just come up. <laughs> you're just getting like our natural conversations in these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now we've covered like checking all the physical stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I guess the one thing we didn't cover is you can go and get like vet exams done and blood work so that would be the last like physical thing to do right so then on to like the behavior right with horse behavior so one thing that comes to mind with like horse behavior and when you should correct it and when you shouldn't um anytime it like goes past your boundaries absolutely you need to address that Mm -hmm. um you know so even though a horse might be in pain that doesn't give them the right to plow you over kind of a thing right yes so if it if it goes past your boundaries absolutely you need to correct it but it makes me think of Warwick Schiller was talking about his horse that he had to give this really disgusting tasting medicine to (laughs) right and he's like this horse would try and run away from me in the stall um and I'm I'm paraphrasing here so I I hope I get the details right but um more or less he's like I'm not going to correct that behavior of him not liking his medicine because it tastes like crap. Like, you know, like <laughs> you can't make that a positive experience. Right. Cause it's just, se. it's going to taste nasty, because it's nasty no matter what you do. <laughs> exactly. Like it's, it, there's going to be certain things that are not pleasant for them and they're allowed to not like that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, mm-hmm. but they do have to learn, like they do still have to take the medicine. Yeah. You know, they don't get to just not take the medicine because it's uncomfortable for them. So yeah, like in situations like that, you don't necessarily need to correct that. Right. Um, And then like another thing that makes me think of uh, Warwick Schiller again was when you talked about like a horse that doesn't like being brushed. Mm. And it's kind of along this concept of like this behavioral problem where she would pin her ears. Right. Um, And it's pretty applicable to me because I have this little horse in training that she is so opinionated. And she will do that kind of stuff. Like if she is not ready to have the saddle on that day, she will let me know. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be like, mm, nope. <laughs> but um, the point that he makes when he talks about it is it's not about the brush. It's not about the saddle. It's not about any of that. It's about the horse wanting to be heard and want, you know, wanting to be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that like connection aspect, right? And So like his theory with it is the first step would be like, say with the brush thing, he does a little video about it where as soon as you get that, um, that concern or that like, no, from the horse, you stop what you're doing Mm -hmm. and that shows them that you see them, right. That you noticed their objection essentially. (laughs) Right. Um, and their concern. And then after you do that, for a few times then the second step is you stop doing what you're doing when they feel better so once you let them know hey I see you I get it then the second step is okay but now I'm going to keep doing it until you stop you know Mm -hmm. pinning the ears or nipping or any of those kind of things and then once you do that a few times then you can just do the deed and then they don't 
have near as much of an issue with it. And I tell you what, doing this with the horse that I have in training can be so hard. And it's not a hard thing. Like it's a very simple concept, but it is a very hard thing patience wise, especially when you have like, like I do the expectation of like, I need to get stuff done today. And I don't want to take the extra 15 minutes to like, (laughs) to saddle you today. um, Because it is a very, very common theme with this particular horse. Yeah. Like I said, she's very, very opinionated. So it's something we have to work on every day. Mm -hmm. And um, so it definitely, from that standpoint, from a trainer standpoint, can be a little bit difficult to like have that patience and not just be like oh will you just let me saddle you like <laughs> yes <laughs> so that we can get our work done like stop it uh-huh. um but I really like the idea of that of of progressing that because that that progression of yes I see you yes I get it but you still have to handle it and do it with a slightly better attitude but you you release that pressure when they have a better neurological response where they're not having that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they start feeling a little bit better about it. So then you reward them feeling better. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then you're just able to do what you need to do. So I really, really like that with dealing with some of those behavioral things, just because of my experience working with it, it does help on the days that I really just take the time to do that, um, with that horse. It's, mm-hmm. it helps so much because it'll go from when I first start, if, when I pick up the blanket, she will pin her ears at me. Yeah. And <laughs> And, but then every time she reaches around, I just reach and engage with her and, and, and pet her nose and everything and just really over-engage and let her know, Hey, I see you. Um, and then after, you know, three to five minutes or so, I'll be able to just whoop, toss that pad on zero ear pinning. She's mm-hmm. just like, Chalala, I'm happy and content. <laughs> like so it fun. wasn't the pad. It was being listened to and mm-hmm. paid attention to mm-hmm. and, some horses need more of that than others. Yeah. <laughs> I think they all need it to a point. Um, oh yeah. But yeah. Well, and I, I'm pretty sure I know which horse you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly what horse I'm talking about. Because <laughs> I've worked with her too. And you're right. Like it is so easy to lose patience because it's like, we do this every freaking day. <laughs> like, would you just stop glaring at me? Like, why, why do we have to do this every single time? <laughs> yeah. But, but you're right. Like she does respond so well to just, just the five extra seconds it takes to say, okay, I hear you. Yep. You know, but if you don't do that, then you just get the glare the entire session. Yes. And you get like a little nippy and like, yep. yep. (laughs) She will be snarky. Oh, (laughs) but if you let her know you're listening, she's like, I will do whatever you want. Go bridal list. Okay. I noticed that with my mare as well which I didn't share this win guess who loads in the trailer without even pausing now what Miss Sandy yep I'm like oh my gosh I'm doing dances the last (laughs) we went on a ride right before Thanksgiving was our last ride that we trailered them to she just hops right in for me and my husband I'm like See, it does make a difference when you just take that time. So for those of you who haven't been following from episode number one, this has been something I've been struggling with her for a little while where she just continually says no at the trailer. And then it takes forever. And by the time I get her trailered, I'm frustrated and I'm angry and and she's frustrated and angry. Um, so I've been taking that time, kind of like what Camry um, described with, with this horse to just be like, okay, like, well, listen. So I've taken like where 
um, when I'm not trying to trailer her somewhere, like just the sessions we do at home, I just end it at the trailer. So it's like, no matter what, we're ending at the trailer, whether that's in the mouth or whether I get her loaded, I don't care. We're just ending at the trailer for a few minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. and that has changed a lot. And I don't try to load her. I just get in the trailer and I just go to the end of my lead rope. And I'm like, if she stands at the end of, or at the mouth and doesn't load, like, it's not a big deal to me. Right. Like what I'm looking for is that acceptance is that oh okay like I want a big deep breath in and out I want her head down I want her actually exploring the trailer a little bit and relaxing and if she gets in great you know lots and lots of praise for that but like there's a couple of sessions where she didn't you know but I was like you know what the relaxation that I'm getting that's fine that's fine enough and just by doing that like it's amazing I haven't had to force her in I haven't had to grab a whip and tire and you know like try to push her in it's just yeah the quick like five minutes a day or like five minutes a session I don't work her every day I wish I did but I yeah. do not have time to do that but the five minutes a session just at least once a week has made all the difference it's been it's been great <laughs> yeah well and like what I tell people too is it's not about their feet being in the trailer it's about getting their brain loaded in that trailer oh confidently 100%. And that's why it doesn't matter if she gets in or not. It matters that she's at the trailer and her brain is in the trailer. She's focused on you and everything that which you are inside the trailer and she's able to relax at that state. And then the feet will just naturally follow. Yep. You know, so there's a lot of people that are like, get in the trailer. Uh Like their brain is like two fields away. You have like no chance of getting there and go over there. (laughs) You have no chance of getting their feet in if their brain is not in the trailer. Well, and granted, I do that. You know, like I am somebody who does do that, especially when I'm in a time constraint. Cause like my anxiety with timing, especially, I am someone who hates to be late. That gives me a lot of anxiety to be late. So if I put that time constraint, I will be someone who will loop their rope around and then go out with the whip. And like, I mean, do I whack them? No, but like, but I will mm-hmm. put that force and that high expectation of you will be getting in this trailer in the next mm-hmm. two seconds, you know, but being able to take that step back and really prep her for those moments has made mm-hmm. all the difference. Yeah with her mindset with it for sure because it's like you were able to still get her in the trailer before but she was not pleased about it (laughs) and I wasn't either like I said I'm empathic and I will pick up on my horses too and Mm -hmm. so and she and I especially we're very very connected she picks up on my crap I pick up on hers so if she's overly anxious and upset like my heart rate will physically raise with hers Mm -hmm. like I just am very sensitive to that kind of stuff and so if we're both in that state it just gets to where it's like like almost stupid sometimes you know where it's like we're both just upset with each other and and it just doesn't lead to a very good um session of any kind so yeah yeah. so I have one more suggestion for people with behavioral things um and that would be to change up your routine if your horse is doing a certain behavior so like if you saddle them from the left and they're pinning their ears at the saddle go and saddle them from the right see if they still do it Hmm. because sometimes changing you know the the way that you do it or um the location that you do it like do it when their head's down grazing and throw it on and if it's still pain they will still react to it Mm -hmm. right they're still going to be going ah like that hurts but if all it is is behavioral and they're just in that habit of going through this routine where, you know, you tie me to the tie post, you grab the pad, you put it on, you do this, you know, um, and they're so familiar with 
reacting that way mm-hmm. you take out the routine and the habit out of it and do something different and sometimes it'll surprise you sometimes you'll get the same reaction where they're still um, reacting to it which again that most likely indicates pain but if they don't and they're just like oh okay then it's like oh so we're just in a bad habit that's yeah. just behavioral we need to deal with that behavior um so yeah change your location of where you do it change how you do it change what side you do it from stuff like that any way that you can just change the routine so. yeah I like that that's actually something I'm like oh I'm gonna try that today when I go <laughs> try the saddle <laughs> Sandy is one of those horses like she knows what saddles fit her and what saddles don't like I have one mm-hmm. saddle that I started her in that fit fine until she grew <laughs> and then it uh-huh. didn't and it ended up um getting some of those hot spots um on her back and I felt really bad for that but she knows she knows that saddle like if I ever bring that out <laughs> oh my goodness she pins her ears she swings her butt like she will mm-hmm. not let me put that saddle on it's kind of funny I'm like huh you're kind of smart um <laughs> but this has been something like with that English saddle I got that she's been kind of doing but I'm like I know like it fits it fits it fits right and then I found out just a couple of weeks ago that no oh, maybe it doesn't fit all that well. My my tree is crooked. (laughs) Yes, because like now it's hurting me. And so I'm sure she's been feeling it as well. So I'm really interested to see if she reacts that way with this new saddle as well. I'm going to have to like Mm. film it or something. Yeah. (laughs) But I like that idea of trying it from another side because she does like she'll swing her body around to try to like make it so I can't get to her left side right because that's Mm -hmm. like where I where I do the saddle and normally I'm very slow and very patient with her like let her check everything I'm putting on her she gets to sniff it she gets to look at it she gets to you know do whatever Mm -hmm. but it gets very frustrating sometimes (laughs) yeah it's like come on I just want (laughs) to ride I like that I like that idea I'm gonna have to try that try it from the other side yeah well like I had a, a trainer friend of mine say um, she was telling me about a horse that was kind of having issues bridling. Um, no, I don't know that it was particularly bridling. I think it was being ear shy. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, relatable to mm-hmm. bridling, obviously. But when she would work with the horse in like the arena and, and try and do it just, you know, holding onto the lead rope and, and try and work within threshold and kind of stretching the comfort zone, the horse would just be upset about having you get anywhere near its ears. But then she took the horse out and hand grazed the horse and then was just petting the horse and was able to reach all the way down and touch this horse's ears. uh So just changing the situation to something that, number one, put the horse in a very natural state where their head was down, they were grazing, um, they were comfortable. But then it was, they weren't essentially like overthinking, right? They weren't like, well, I have no food and, and this is slightly uncomfortable. So I'm going to protest. They had enough comfort from like the food and then just that change in routine oh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of add in a couple different things there and boom, the horse was like, oh, okay. You can touch like my ears fine. now. <laughs> That's fine. So, yeah. Another example from a different trainer yeah. that shows how changing it up can just help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, and even going back, like, as you're talking about that, I'm kind of thinking about some just different behaviors that I've noticed with different horses over the years and with mine currently. Um, But some behaviors will also equal, hey, like, maybe there's a point of pain where it's not chronic, where it's acute, right? Where Mm -hmm. in a certain situation, something is applying behavior. Um, And for instance, 
I've got one horse that it's like, sometimes if you put too much pressure on their mouth, her head comes straight up in the air, right? And to me, it's like, she has been taught very, very well to collect herself, to bring her head down with pressure. Um, so I've been thinking about that. And then I got to thinking, I'm like, oh, you know what? It's, it's that curb strap because she's got a chain link curb strap. Mm -hmm. And so when that pressure comes up, if it comes, if it's too harsh, of course, she's going to flip her head up in the air because she's trying to get away from the pressure under her, under her chin. Um, and so changing that up makes a, makes a big difference. <laughs> yeah. You know. So did you switch to a leather curb? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Didn't we do that when you were taking lessons from me? Uh-huh. Okay. That's uh -huh. what I thought. I was like, that was why. You're I like, this sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I recommend yeah. that to most people is switch your curb strap to a leather one. Mm -hmm. Um, cause some of those chain ones can be a little bit um, uncomfortable under there. <laughs> yeah. Well, harsh and it pinches and yeah. Well, yeah. it's meant to be a pressure cue, not a pain cue. Yeah. Um, and again, like anything on your horse's head is only as harsh as your hands. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so if you jerk really hard on it, yeah, that, that chain's going to hit there. If you're a little softer, um, mm -hmm. it's not going to be as intense, but I do think that, you know, the leather is going to provide the pressure that you need to provide the cue. Um, yeah. And then you really don't need the, the change in strap in my opinion, yep. but yep. I am not, um, super <laughs> well experienced in curb bits mm -hmm. mainly because I cult start. So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I have like a, and halters. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I do like Freya, I put into a, a curb bit and, um, one of my client horses that I've had for a while, I just put her in a curb bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so and, yeah, I have some experience, but I'm definitely not, uh, yeah, has experience. So yeah, don't uh, take my advice as <laughs> someone that really knows curb bits, but that's just my opinion from my mm -hmm. experience with it. So mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. And just, just anecdotally from like what I see in the changes and things, mm -hmm. um, Cause I know for a while, like with her, I would just get, I'd get so frustrated. I'm like, why is she throwing her head up in the air? You know, like mm -hmm. she, she shouldn't be doing that. And like, when you and I were able to kind of talk about that, it's like, oh, okay. You know, and it, it, it does make a world of difference when it's like, okay, now she stretches it down and she's more yeah. than happy to take that pressure. It's just a matter of it being pressure versus pain for sure. Yeah. I like that distinction. Yeah. And having it be tight enough or loose enough, mm -hmm. um, which I adjust so many curb straps for like my clients that come and take lessons with me, um, on their own horses. They, a lot of them have too loose of a curb strap, which yeah. I did years ago with my horse, Cody, um, which was the first horse of my own that I had in a curb bit. I didn't realize how loose my curb strap was. And if your bit is like, if you're, um, <laughs> why can I not think upwards? <laughs> If your shank is coming backwards and like flipping your bit oh, uh -huh. upside down in your mm -hmm. horse's mouth, your curb strap is way too loose. Yeah. Um, it's, it should not be uh, coming back that far. So yeah. shorten up your curb strap or if it's mm -hmm. too tight that like you can't even put an ounce of pressure on it without it like cranking up yeah. and being tight constantly, loosen it. Um, mm -hmm. So, and there are plenty of articles and videos I'm sure out there in the world to show yeah. you how tight your curb straps right. should be so if you're questioning it look it up research it a little bit yeah my rule of thumb that that I was taught was like two to three fingers between mm -hmm. the curb strap and the chin and I, I normally go for two um to me that seems to be about like the perfect pressure where it's going to add that pressure that you need when you need it but it's going to be loose enough that 
yeah um, that it's not constantly putting pressure there you know what I mean yeah but that's that's just what I was taught was about yeah. two fingers and I think it depends on the bit too and exactly mm-hmm. where the curb strap sits yeah um, like yeah, I said 100%. it just you want to make sure that bit's not flipping upside down and doing this in your horse's mouth yes. not that anyone can see me but just imagine a bit going upside down <laughs> yes no exactly I love this so I guess kind of going back to the original question like that line between assuming pain and connecting behavior I think like as I revisit that question um mm-hmm. this is my takeaway learn your horse learn like okay if there's something that's out of character check for pain first and yes. then once you have all of that taken care of then go towards okay let's let's correct this behavior and it might be something like that horse you've gotten training where it's just well this is just going to be your new routine whenever you ride this horse this is just your routine and it's okay you know and just trying to really like reframe your brain around um not getting frustrated by the fact that this is just your new routine and just realizing like like, just make it your routine like that's just that's just it and if you make it your routine it will go faster and faster I feel like each time as well versus if you have that one session where you didn't listen to her she's gonna come back and be like all pissed off for the next one you know so you might as well just listen to her every time (laughs) yep well and I actually want to share kind of this fun experience of we actually went through this with a client recently um they brought their horse to me and they'd had him for a few years and just ridden him lightly but he was just one of those kids safe like plot along you could put anybody on him kind of horse and before they got him they were told he was a lesson horse which you know based on his temperament was like oh yeah like you could tell mm-hmm. but all of a sudden one day he spun and dumped the client and then her husband got on dumped him hmm. um you know and it was just but he had recently, like, I think it was like five months before that had had a stifle injury that he had to be laid off for. Oh. Um, but they had ridden him, I guess, a couple times coming back from the stifle injury and he'd been fine. And then this time that he just kind of blew. Um, and so they came to me, someone had recommended me and said, yeah, go to, go to Camry and, and, and bring the horse over and see what she can do and help you. And so the first time they brought the horse and I said, we're just going to check everything. We're going to check for pain. Um, and sure enough, he ended up having stifle pain still, mm. um, as well as having some back pain, back issues. Um, back issues, most likely stemming from the way he had to compensate with his stifles, mm-hmm. which, you know, went into his back. Um, and he, so he needed some chiropractor work done and then he got his stifles injected but like the, the the first lesson they brought this horse over he was just beautiful like we put the saddle on he didn't react we send him around and I just was checking you know all sorts of things yeah and the only thing that I did that got him to act wonky was when I put a foot in the stirrup and put weight up in the saddle he was okay at a standstill. And then I asked him to just move around. You know, I asked him to kind of mm-hmm. disengage and, and bend around. And he just blew up and started bucking. Oh, really? I hopped, I hopped off because I, I was already planning right. on just doing this from the side because for from a safety perspective, that's what I do is I, mm-hmm. I hop on the one side. I try and center my weight as best I can so I don't pull the saddle off to the side and then send the horse around for just, you know, a few steps just to make sure they can move with weight up there. Mm-hmm and he just blew up and I was like I think his I think he's hurting I'm like I think it hurts 
for there to be weight up here. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, after they, I recommended a chiropractic and a vet visit, I said, go get this stuff done, um, and bring him back. And so it was like three weeks because the vet was booked out and they, Mm -hmm. they got him all taken care of, got him injected, um, brought him back after they got all of that done. And, um, we checked him again and he, when I put the weight up in the saddle again, he was like a little like tense. Anticipating. He was anticipating it, right? Uh-huh. And so I helped um, helped him not to anticipate it. So I would I would get up there and then kind of wait for him to feel a little bit better about it and realize, oh, there's there's not pain there anymore. Um, and like his pole had been out, so mm-hmm. there may or may not have been vision loss issues because when mm. a horse's pole gets out of alignment, they can lose some peripheral vision. It's crazy. Um, and have blind spots. So there may have been that as well, but I do think most of it was pain. So, um, but yeah, it was just, we would repeat that several times on both sides of just me getting up there, moving the horse around. And then I think it was the third session. So the first session had been like, you know, troubleshooting, trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what the problem was. And then this second session was after the vet visit. And then on the third session, the client wrote him and he was went off like a dream and was fine. I love it. And so it it. was like, because we dealt with first the pain, but then we Mm -hmm. were able to kind of help him through that anticipation of like, oh, like Mm -hmm. this really hurt. Um, Mm -hmm. And then get him to where he was like, oh, okay, I'm fine. Yeah. And get him, get him out of the routine of that pain response. Then he was fine. So it's, it's cool because they, she just didn't want to give up on this horse. Like she's like, everyone's telling me to just sell him because he's going to hurt me. And and sometimes that I do recommend that to people yeah. because mm-hmm. there's times when it's just not a good fit, yep. but this was a fairly easy problem solve. I mean, sometimes it takes months to get physical things sorted out and under control, depending on the extent of it. Like the one horse that had EPM and it took us forever to like figure mm-hmm. out that that's what it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's really fun to see when people are willing to put the time and money into the vet visits and the chiropractic visits yeah. and get these things taken care of all of a sudden they have this amazing horse back again Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. it's pretty awesome too to have a trainer out there like you like I always tell you you're unique and you are so (laughs) but like because they could have gone to like any other trainer especially in your area I feel like and that trainer would have been like yep leave him here for a few months I'll get the I'll get that buck out of him I'll pull him around I'll do that without looking for the pain issues and they would have been out a lot more money than it took for just a couple of lessons with you and a vet visit, you know? Um, so I think, I think that's really cool too. And to have, um, it's kind of like a doctor, you know, like the doctors who will take that time to go through every little bit with you and be like, it's okay. We're going to find the root of the problem. Having a trainer that does that makes all the difference in the world. Right. So I like that. I like helping people. <laughs> Make you blush over here. Get all bashful on me. <laughs> That's why I do lessons like that. Like it's one of the most rewarding parts of my job is doing the one-on-one lessons with someone with their own horse mm-hmm. that just is like, oh, I love it because we make so much progress and and it's just so fun to see people grow with their horses. And- yes. No, <laughs> it, it is the best. It is it is very addicting. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yes. I love it. I love it. Well, honestly, with that, I feel, I feel better about my question. So I think we did a good job. Did we answer it? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think honestly, it just comes down to being willing to be patient 
you know it's like it's like a child it's just one of those things it's like you got to deal with the root issues and then after that there is going to be a routine change no matter what you do like all of those scenarios we've we've just talked about it's like there's going to be some sort of a routine change in there and you got to be willing to be able to change your own routine to to have a harmonious partnership with your horse. Um, And if you're being really rigid in how your routine needs to look, there's going to be a lot of horses that aren't going to fit. Yeah. And it's, that reminds me of what Craig Johnson, the horse trainer, that's a, he's a big rainer guy. Mm -hmm. And um, he had said something along the lines of you have two different horses. You have warriors and wallflowers or something like that. I think is Uh what he called it. And it's very true because some horses are just going to be those warriors that just take it and like, tell me what else to do. What do I do next? And, Mm -hmm. and they don't care if as much, if you take that time to connect with them, like they're just there to do their job. Yeah. But then you get the ones that are like, no, listen to me. Like I have feelings and Uh (laughs) the ones that like are a little more sensitive. Yeah. (laughs) So especially with those sensitive ones, it does take a lot more patience because my husband's horse, Lola, she is a warrior. She's Mm -hmm. just like, she's going to go and do, Mm -hmm. um, Oh yeah. That's a perfect partnership for Larry and Frey is a perfect partnership for you. I know because she's the sensitive one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I liked this conversation. It was good. And I feel, yeah, I I feel pretty good about, about where we went with it. So I hope you all did too. (laughs) Hopefully it helps you figure out how to figure your horse out a little bit better. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, Camry, I guess we'll talk to you next week. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to The Horsewoman Project. If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.